Welcome to Starting Strong, the weekly podcast of the Clemson Foothills Church. My name is Lucas Clay, and today we're going to be talking about the gospel. While the topic of the gospel is a really broad topic, the implications for believers in both the first century and the 21st century are the same. The gospel in Greek is known as euangelion, and this means good news. Many of you might be familiar with the idea that there are four Gospels, but really this is four accounts of one story. Four accounts of one story that is good news, a story of redemption. And there are multiple parts to the Gospel. In the beginning, in most accounts, we see the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. We see the miracles and the evidence that Jesus is from God, and we see a description through parables of what the kingdom is like and what it should be on earth and in heaven. The finale is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, where he takes the sins of the world into himself and pays the punishment that we deserve, and he sets humanity on a path towards redemption. While these are four distinct parts, they are not separate from each other. The gospel, and the entire word of God for that matter, describes a relational God, a God that deeply loves and cares for his creation and his people. Not only is he relational, God has a plan through his word for this redemption. I'm really convicted as early as Genesis 12, where God is calling Abraham. and He says in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This passage gives us the notion that through the Israelites, through the Jewish people, all started by Abraham and God, that all nations of the world will be blessed. That even through the pain and suffering, judgment, wrath, and struggle that is evident in the Old Testament, God's plan is ever-present and necessary. In many places in the Old Testament, we see that the prophets give us a glimpse of what the new covenant, of what redemption looks like for both the Jewish people and for all nations of the world. Ezekiel says in um, chapter 36, verse 24, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. This is such great news. This brings us to the gospel, the culmination of the new covenant, where even in our inadequacies, our sin, our pain, and our anxiety, we can still receive this spirit through repentance and baptism. The story of God and his creation is an epic masterpiece that only he could have orchestrated through his power and love. 
Many of us are very familiar with this process, these ideas that we've just gone through, these broad, large concepts of the story of God. Yet I find remembering and meditating on the story of God is extremely important to build my own convictions. I need to know what to say when asked why. Why do I believe this? Why do I follow Jesus? And it simply is the story of God is my proof, my convincing. We are not naturally God-centered. But with the help of the Spirit, we can work through the Spirit to further God's kingdom on this earth. My convincing is that God meant us for good, for relationship, for loving people, for giving of ourselves. And this is not without benefit. But when considering what I must do to be a disciple, I remember that we are being transformed by the Spirit, and we must not conform to the world. The pressure of the world says that we are naive, incompetent, and we need to be better than others. But I want to follow and live for a God that has a plan for me, a plan for humanity, a plan that does not rely on my own competence, but on the grace of God and the Spirit within me. I want to give up control to a God that doesn't need me, but wants me. I want to give my life for a God whose goal is restoration of creation and humanity. I want to want what Jesus wants. And the story of God convicts me of this truth. In Philippians, Paul reminds us of the encouragement that we can have in Christ in chapter 2, verse 1, saying, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In 1 Peter 4, verse 1, Peter says that, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in the, his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. These are challenging verses, but they highlight the redemption of, and the grace that God has lavished upon us. He wants to do this with us. He wants us to be a relational God that involves us in his plan. I pray that we can be convicted every day by God's word and God's story for our lives, that we can want to want more and more every day what Jesus wants.